Kids can go ahead and be dismissed to be with our team in Redemption Kids. And if you are new to Redemption Hill, let me welcome you to our worship gathering. We would love to get to know you. If you would go to our app, uh, you can find a digital connect card and fill that out very briefly. Uh, and we will reach out just to thank you for worshiping with us. Well, uh, as we get into God's word this morning, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to be wrapping up our study uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians. And as you turn there, uh, I just wanted to share uh, an awesome quote that I came across this week. This came uh, from a post on Instagram from a friend of mine who uh, started a church in Denver and then just in the past several months has given up his role as lead pastor of Summit Church Denver to start a new nonprofit that's called AGC, a generous company. And uh, they're all about a better, uh, more generous future as a nonprofit to help people understand what it means to live generous lives. And one of the, the, the quotes caught my eye was from Joan Marquez, where she says this, the thrill of taking lasts a day, but the thrill of giving lasts a lifetime. Think about that. The thrill of taking lasts a day, but the thrill of giving lasts a lifetime. I hope you are ready to uh, experience the thrill of giving in this Christmas season. In fact, uh, you might be surprised to learn that our family has already practiced this thrill of giving. Uh, Marcia and the kids have already hopped on a flight to see the grandparents, which means that last weekend we were all about the thrill of giving and some of us more than others were all about the thrill of taking. You know what I'm saying? And you might guess that I'm talking about especially that four-year-old boy named Titus Storms Turley, all right? I mean, the night before, we're laying down. We always lay down with Titus for a couple of minutes, getting him to calm down or whatever. And he's like, Daddy, I'm so excited. We get to open presents tomorrow. And, you know, then, uh, you know, the next, the next day, he was just grinning from ear to ear, coming down the stairs. And this dude was so hyped up and wired that after we opened all the gifts, and he's trying to play with this new uh, game, Sports on Nintendo Switch, all right, he like, you know how sometimes the controller, you got to figure out a new game, and he's getting so frustrated. He's just having a meltdown in the middle of the game. Like, buddy, listen, this is all about supposed to be fun, but now it's not fun because you're not having fun, which means no one else is having fun. And the thrill of taking took some of his emotions a little too far. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just watch out for the four-year-olds this Christmas season. Uh, but then it was time for the thrill of giving for me to my wonderful wife of 16 years, Marsha. And I, I worked hard. I mean, I tried, to, I, tried to, I tried to do my thing, you know, each Christmas season. And uh, I thought I'd done a pretty good job. Uh, I, I got her these candle holders. Um, and this was intentional, you know what I'm saying? This was strategic, okay? This is more than just a candle ho holder that she enjoy, you know, black, modern look, just fits her style, whatever. Um, but this is for us to enjoy our date nights at home together when we say, kids, we love you, but we've had enough of you right now, you're going to go and do your thing. We are going to enjoy an at-home date night uh, together as a married couple. And, uh, and she loved the candle holders. It was great. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. That's right. Uh, thank you. I'm feeling, I'm feeling better about myself already. Uh, but, but, but then listen, listen, listen. Then she opened up the candles. And the candles 
I mean, I tried to research, I read the descriptions there. They, when she set them in the candle holder, they didn't fit. And so they were like, they were doing that lean thing. And it's like, she's just looking at me like, what, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And some, some gifts go great, others not so great, right? There are some gifts that we love, that we treasure. There are some gifts that we're like, where's that gift receipt, right? I mean, it's like, even if there's no gift receipt, I'm taking this back. Even if I get 30% of what the person called, paid for it, it's like I'd rather have the 30% than this whatever. And what we find in this giving season, that's so joyful, the thrill of giving, is that our God, I hope you hear this today, our God doesn't know a season of giving because our God is always in the season of giving. It's, always, he's, it's giving in every season when it comes to God. Amen? I mean, he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. I was taught as a young boy growing up in church that you can't outgive God. And this is 1,000% true. This is what we celebrate this giving season, the generosity of God. And as we read 1 Corinthians 16, yes, that may be a, an atypical uh, Christmas text for us to consider. I believe what we find in these final instructions from Paul are three everyday gifts that God wants us to enjoy. And so that's my encouragement for you as we work our way through this text is that you would enjoy three everyday gifts from God this Christmas. As we see Paul uh, giving these final words to this church that he loves so much in Corinth, he's going to talk to us about the gifts of giving, the gifts of planning, and the gift of relationships. So I want to read these first four verses for us as we see this gift of giving. Paul writes this, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Paul begins in verse 1 and he talks about this special offering that was being collected for the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. And if we go to Romans chapter 14 or fast forward to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, what we will find is that they are collecting this offering for poor believers in Jerusalem who were, yes, also suffering persecution there in the city. Some had lost their jobs. Others were imprisoned. Some even lost their lives for the sake of following Jesus. And so as Paul went around and started church after church in the regions of Galatia and Achaia, he's saying, look, we need to take care of the people who brought us the gospel and shared the message of Jesus with us. And in these first two verses, we find four principles for giving. You might want to write them down. The first one is this. Giving is a partnership. 
Giving is a partnership. And this is one that I don't think we, we kind of focus on the mechanics of giving and, oh, should I give? And if I give, how much should I give? And how does that work? And it's like, let's just back up for a minute and find this most foundational truth that when we give, we are partnering first and foremost with God himself. Paul says that he directed the churches of Galatia to give. And now he's directing the church at Corinth to give as well. But, but behind Paul's instruction is God's invitation for them to join him in his work of caring for people and advancing his love mission all over the world. God invites us to partner with him. This is part of the Christian life. Jesus said in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. This is an expectation for us. And, and what a paradigm shift as we think about the, the gift of giving. That it's not like, oh, I have to give when I'd really rather be spending, um, you know, myself. But it's I get to partner with God in what he is doing in my city and in our world. This partnership provides the foundation for us to then partner with other followers of Jesus. I love that Paul highlights, hey, this isn't just for you in Corinth. Okay, This is the churches in Galatia. They're also coming in on this. We are working together because it's always more powerful and meaningful when we work together in this endeavor of generosity. I love what Paul says. We've seen this so many times with spiritual gifts and others. Verse 2, look at verse 2. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside. I mean, God is all about getting all of his children in on all of his work. And like a world-class football team, it takes all of us working together. Now, I want you to know, listen, uh, I'm talking about the, the round ball that you kick with your feet when I talk about a world-class football team. But we're not going to talk about the World Cup here this morning, all right? I mean, I want you to know that we, we so much love our, uh, you know, football fans that we intentionally scheduled the service this morning so that you wouldn't have to watch the World Cup. But you could worship Jesus instead, all right? I'm just, I hope there are no uh, Portuguese uh, Words that are not healthy going through your mind right now. But uh, nevertheless, uh, so we all work together, right? It's a partnership. But then Paul says giving should be a priority. In verse 2 he says, on the first day of every week. And here is one of the clearest uh, allusions to the fact that when worshipers of Jesus, followers of Jesus came together, they worshiped on Sunday. Why? Because Sunday, as we saw last week, was the day that Jesus, what? Rose from the dead, right? So, so when we come together, I hope you think about this when you're driving to worship on Sunday, okay, is that this is a day of victory. This is a day of life. This is a day of hope. This is a day of celebration because death could not defeat our king. And now we get to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. And if we follow him, we are alive in him. And Paul says, look, when you come together at the beginning of your week, you are to give a gift from God from what he has gifted you through your work. And here we hear echoes of the principle of first fruits that we find in the Old Testament where the, the, the people of Israel would offer the first fruits of their harvest to God. 
And he's saying, look, make this a priority. Don't, don't bring God your leftovers, you know. It's like, hey, we spend frivolously on ourselves Monday through Saturday. And then it's like whatever's left over, we bring a little something, something to God. You see, the, the kingdom mathematics flip our thinking on their head. We think spend, save, give. But Jesus, the way of Jesus, what Jesus came to do, what Jesus came to model for us, what Jesus came to show us is what? We give, save, and then spend. Giving should be a priority. But then also giving requires a plan. Paul says that each of you should put something aside and store it up. In other words, he's saying you need to be strategic about this. You need to be intentional. You should have a plan that is thought through when it comes to your generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says this. Each one, there it is again, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Why, Paul? Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Every year, at the beginning of the year, Marcia and I take some time to step back and create what some of you I know love, a budget. I mean, who, who loves to live on a budget? Raise your hand. Okay, it's like, okay, I am not teaching our Financial Peace University classes, but I know that one of the first lessons that we need to learn when it comes to our finances is setting and then, yes, sticking to a budget. Thank you. That's our teacher. Thank you, Taylor. Teacher, drummer, she does it all. All right. So I knew I was going to get an amen out of you. That's right. Hey, can I get some more throughout the sermon anyway? So, um. We set a budget and on all of the different line items through that budget that we have to pay our bills and spend and all of these things. And the first line is what? It's giving. Because giving is the priority. And we don't share this information to boast or whatever, but we've made it a priority since we said, I do, to give at least 10% of our income first and foremost to the Lord. That's not actually because we believe that tithing is, you know, mandated by the New Testament. But we're just like, that's a good place to start if we want to grow in grace giving. And we want to maybe give even when it hurts a little bit. Because listen, you say, well, Pastor Tanner, uh, is that easy to give the first fruits and to give that much to God? It's not easy. And, and does that mean that at times we have to say no to certain things or opportunities that we even needs that we would like to enjoy? Yes. But is it worth it? 100%. Giving is a priority for us and we plan our giving so that we aren't tempted to spend more on ourselves and less on God. But then finally we see that giving should be proportional. Look at what Paul says. The, the language is so specific. He says, put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. What this tells us is not all of us when it comes to giving to the local church, to support kingdom causes in the world, are going to give the same amount, but... We should look at our lives and pray through, God, what is it that you want me, us, our family to give, and then to give it from a heart of love and worship. 
I mean, as I was thinking about this text, I couldn't help but rewind to the gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Can you uh, remember where Jesus is probably sitting in the temple with his disciples, and he sees all of these rich folk coming up and dropping their offerings in the offering box? And the, and the, 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 the box is going, wow, click, 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 click. It's just, like, it's just making so much noise because they're dropping so much money in the box. And then a widow walks up. And the text tells us that she didn't have much. In fact, she had two small coins. And she dropped it in the box. Clink, clink. And the heart of Christ leapt through his chest. He says to his disciples, I tell you the truth, this woman has given more than all the rest. The one who gave the least gave the most. Why? Because God sees our hearts. He sees what we're bringing to him as an offering of worship. Our giving is to be partnership with God. It's to be a priority. We need a plan for it. It's to be proportional. In verses 3 and 4, just point out Paul's financial integrity, what we want to operate with as, as leaders, but even as a church family. That's why we have transparency and accountability when it comes to our budget. Uh, Paul essentially says, hey, you guys handle the details. I'm not handling the money. That's actually one reason why if you try to give me an offering check, I'm like, hey, the box over there, pastor, whoever's over there. It's like, I'm not touching money. Not just, I'm because I'm trying to be above reproach, right? Live with integrity. I'm so thankful that we have a church full of people who enjoy the gift of giving. At Redemption Hill, we talk a lot about the generosity journey. And some of you, this might kind of blow your minds like, oh, I didn't even know you could give to like the church. And is that a good thing? Does God want that for me? And, and listen, if you've never given a gift, it's okay. But, but maybe your first step would just be to give a first gift. If you call Redemption Hill Home, listen, if you're new, if you're visiting, if you're not sure this is your church family, we don't expect a dime. But if this is your home, is this where you're part of the family and mission of God, then maybe your first step is just to give one gift, however great or small. But then when we give a first time, often what happens is we move to being uh, what Pastor Reddy talks about, occasional givers. This may not be super strategic or, or thought out. It may be more reactive just as, you know, uh, God puts it on your heart to give on occasion. But that occasional giving moves to intentional giving. This is what Paul is describing here in 1 Corinthians 16 where the giving is regular, it's systematic, and it's proportional. And God, help us to get to the place as we grow in our journey with Jesus. Jesus talked a lot about money, by the way. And where we're becoming more and more sacrificial. We're, we're, we're moving to that point where maybe for some of us, God will lead us to that place of being legacy givers. Where, we're, where God's using us to change the shape of generations by how we are so generous in our giving. But in all of this, listen, Jesus tells us that in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he says that it is, what, more blessed to give than receive. And, and if you just put God to the test and you just try this, this Christmas season, or just whenever as God leads, listen, I believe you're going to find Jesus' words to be true. 
It's more blessed. There's, there's more happiness. There's more joy. There's more life. That's what blessing means. It means to experience the life that God intends for us. There's life when we give and give generously. But, but it's not just giving because that's what we are supposed to do. It's not just giving because that's what someone maybe expects of us. You see, giving in the scriptures, giving in the way of Jesus, is giving in response to how much God has given us. It's always a response to the cross. And we, we've seen this in 1 Corinthians, how Paul, he might be talking about unity and division. He might be talking about sex and relationships. He might be talking about things going on in worship. But what is he doing? He's bringing it back every time to the cross. For I resolve to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. For what I received, I delivered as first importance. Jesus lived, died, on, and then rose on the third day. It all comes back to the gospel. So we shouldn't be surprised when we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, enjoying eternity with God the Father and the Holy Spirit in heaven, yet for your sake he became poor. He became a baby. He wrapped himself in our humanity. And Jesus, why did you do it? It was so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Paul says these words when he's talking about the grace of giving and generosity. And so number one, Paul would say the, the first thing we should do is enjoy the everyday gift of giving. But then number two, this might surprise you, he, he would encourage us to enjoy the everyday gift of planning. And I know some of you are like, man, you got your, you got your planners, you got your, you got your apps to help you do, you, you got everything organized. But then some of you hear the word planning and it's like, yo, uh, me and some of my friends are on the struggle bus here. Because it's like, you know, uh, when, when it comes to, to planning, uh, I'm, I'm like, let's just go with the flow. You know, it's like, well, let's just figure things out as we go. And listen, there are no kingdom rules against spontaneity. In fact, clearly we should be spirit-led moment by moment no matter what is going on. But did you know that it can be just as much spirit-led to have a plan as to operate with spontaneity? So Paul talks about this in verses 5 through 12. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend, here's the plans. I intend to pass through Macedonia, see my, my friends in Philippi and Thessalonica, these churches that I planted, and verse 6, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that I, you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective ministry has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord, as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers." 
Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. As we read these verses, we ask the question, why is Paul so fired up about plans? And I think we see that for starters, Paul loved people. He wanted to go back and visit the, the churches that he founded, that he shared the gospel with them, that he was discipling them and help, helping them know the way of Jesus. And so he says, I'm going to go back through Philippi, I'm going to go back through Thessalonica, but I want to go through there and then I want to get to you. And I don't want, verse 7, I don't want to just kind of pass through quickly, but I really want to slow down and spend time with you. He says, I could fly in and fly out, but I'm not trying to rush it. I want that quality time with you, Corinthians. Paul loved people, but Paul also loved ministry. Paul loved serving people. Paul loved telling other people about Jesus. Paul loved praying for people. He loved seeing God move in power. He loved to see God bring people to life through his words of life. And hopefully as you think about this, this gets your heart beating a little bit faster because you love ministry too. You love to be about the work of God. And Paul loves ministry so much that he says in verse 8 that, that he's going to stay in Ephesus. Why? Because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me. Who opens doors? It's God, right? We, we learn that God opens doors for effective ministry. And, but we, we, should we pray for open doors of effective ministry? Absolutely. Colossians chapter 4 verse 3 says, at the same time, Paul says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. But, but in this serving, in this ministry, this open door, Paul shows that though he loves to serve God and, and, and love people, that there are going to be times where he is called to suffer for it. He says that though there is a wide door for effective ministry, that there are many adversaries. And Jen talked about this year being a, a stormy season for her. And, and I understand something about that myself. That there's been different challenges this year in life and in my own soul and the experiences that I've faced where it feels like there, is, there are many adversaries. There, there is a lot of spiritual opposition. And you say, well, Pastor Tina, does, does that discourage you? If I'm, if I'm being honest, when I take my eyes off Jesus... Absolutely, it discourages me. But what I found is this. When I keep my eyes on Christ, and, and I remember who he is, and I remember what he's called me to do. I remember what we saw at the beginning of this year in the book of Nehemiah, where Jesus is saying, Tanner, listen, it is going to be difficult at times. In fact, I promised you that in this world you would have trouble. But... Through it all, listen, number one, I am with you. And number two, you are doing a great work. I mean, just like you're, you're, doing, you're doing what I've called you. So don't come down off the wall, but keep doing the work that I've called you to do. And, and this reminds me of what my friend in Rhode Island loves to say, Pastor Stephen Book. He says this, the 
intensity of the opposition is because of the enormity of the gospel opportunity. I mean, it, let me say that again. The in, you didn't get it because I would heard some more amens if you got that. All right, the intensity of the opposition is because of the enormity of the gospel opportunity. Amen. Amen. This, this tells us, listen, this tells us that when we are engaged in a good work, we should expect that there are going to be some adversaries. We should expect that there are going to be some challenges. But we keep pressing on. This is what Paul does. He loves ministries, making his plans because he wants to be about the work. But then what Paul shows us, what I love about Paul, is that he wants to bring other people in on this. He shares the work with others. In verse 10 and 11, he talks about his son in the faith, Timothy's. Timothy was like a spiritual son to Paul. Uh, he was on the younger side. He was perhaps a bit timid in the work, and he was going into a tough situation. We've seen all of the issues that are going on in Corinth, and what Paul is essentially doing is he's setting his young protege in ministry up for success by saying, hey, treat him with some respect. Show him a peaceful experience while he's there to serve you in Christ. And then he talks about Apollos in, 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 in verse 12. He says, uh, look, you're talking about in chapter 3, oh, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas, I follow Apollos. Apollos and I follow Jesus. We're on the same team here. We're working together. We're on the same page. And Paul's trying to help us see that in all of our plans... We commit them to the Lord. Planning, listen, plans are great, but plans give us an opportunity to trust God. Because what does Paul say here in verse 7? He says, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. And he could put that phrase on every single one of his plans. If the Lord permits, if the Lord permits, if the Lord permits. He's familiar with the Old Testament in Proverbs where it says in chapter 16, verse 9, that we can make plans, but it is God who determines our steps. You say, well, Pastor Tanner, you're talking about Jesus is influencing and motivating everything. And I get that with giving. He gave to us. We give back to him. We give to others because he gave. But surely the Bible doesn't talk about our planning being motivated by the gospel. Oh, yes, it does. If you just turn one page to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he was, Paul, being criticized because apparently with his good intentions, he was not able to follow through on them yet. And so some people in Corinth are like, oh, Paul, he says one thing, but he doesn't mean it. And what does he say in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 1? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. He's not, he's, what he's saying is, we're not saying one thing and then doing another. When we speak, we are sincere. Why is that, Paul? Verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God. What Paul is saying is this. In all of my plans, I say what I mean and I mean what I say. Why? Because it is a reflection of the faithful God, Jesus Christ himself. So we let our yes be yes and our no be no. In the kingdom of God. Enjoy the gift of giving. 
Enjoy the gift of planning. I hope you have some great plans over the holidays. But then finally, enjoy the gift of relationships. If I can keep it real with you this morning, uh, when I was younger and I would read through a book like 1 Corinthians or maybe Romans, you get to chapter 16, it's the same thing going on. I would speed read through the end of the chapter so I'd get the next book. It's like, oh, Paul was well connected. Big surprise. Good for you, Paul. I'm moving on. But the older I get and the longer I walk with Jesus, these words become more and more sacred to me. Because God made us for relationships. He made us to enjoy the people around us, to be fully present as we love one another. Look at what Paul says in verses 13 through 24. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. And they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. Because they have made up for your absence. Why? Verse 18. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca together with the church in their house send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Verse 13, we find Paul giving this series of instructions that sound like they come from a military commander. He, he says, be watchful. In other words, stay alert. He says, stand firm in the faith. We heard last week, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the world. So we, we don't let anything move us when it comes to our faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And then he says, act like men. The better translation here would be, be courageous. Clearly, Paul is speaking to both men and women. So many, in fact, most other translations say, be courageous. And then he ends with, with this. He says, be strong. Act, live, move with everything you've got. And what I love here, if we dig a little deeper, what we'll hear are echoes of the ancient song in Psalm 31 verse 24 that says this. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. This is the, the other place in the Bible where you see this, be strong, be courageous. Psalm 34 is calling us to be strong and, and take courage as we wait for the Lord. And as I was studying this this week, uh, Richard Hayes, a brilliant scholar, says this. He says, authentic strength, we all need a little authentic strength, right? Authentic strength is grounded in trustful 
waiting. If I know anything about your life, I know that there is something. Maybe there is something big. Maybe there are several things that you are waiting for. And, and what, what happens when we have faith in God, listen, is that our waiting is not passive. Whatever you're waiting for, we, we don't wait with passivity. It's like, oh, God, I hope, you know, uh, this kind of works out. But we, when we wait in faith, we are waiting with anticipation. We are saying, listen, we are saying, God, I know you are good. God, I know you are working in ways that I cannot see right now. And because you love me, I can trust that you are working all of this out for my good and for your name. Be strong. Take courage. Even in the waiting, God is faithful. And then he says in verse 14, a, a verse that really uh, sums up the entire chapter and pushes his final greetings to a close. He says what? Let all you do be done in love. This is a, this is a verse to underline, to highlight, to, to know by heart, okay? When you're driving to grandma's house on Christmas Eve, okay, you need to be reminding yourself of this verse. Let all I do be done in love. When you're about to interact, I see some laughter. When you are about to interact with that family member that you love so much. <laughs> Let all you do be done in love. And Paul gives us some examples of the kind of love he's talking about. As he finishes up his words here in 1 Corinthians. In verses 15 through 17, he, he tells the Corinthians to show some love and respect to Stephanus, who was part of the first believers and converts in Corinth. Then in verse 18, I love what he says here. He says that, that he was refreshed by the visit of Stephanus and, and Fortunatus and Achaicus. Dope names, by the way. I'm just saying. Dope names. But, but this, this verse 18, I, I, dare, I dare you. I dare you. If you like more than just... Hey, let all you do be done in love. God said it. I believe it. I should try to. This is what I dare you. I dare you to make this your prayer this Christmas season. I dare you to say, God, help me to be a refreshment to the people that I am going to interact with this Christmas. God, let me bring such life that when people spend time with me, it's like they are having so much love and encouragement and kindness and patience poured over the water of their soul that they can't help but feel a little bit better than they did before they were in my presence. I mean, by the way, this is what happens when you hang out with a real Christian who is really walking in the ways of Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. You get refreshed. You get encouraged. And, and let me just go ahead and throw this out here because, listen, I, I know the world we live in and I'm going to be tempted to it myself, okay, is that rather than letting all I do be done in love, I'm probably going to be letting a lot of what I do be done for me and that means I'm going to have my iPhone out and I'm going to be in a conversation. And be like, I mean, I dare you. I dare you to leave this in the other room. I dare you to be fully present. 
I dare you to lock eyes with the person that you're talking to and, and not have to check every notification. Let all you do be done in love. This is, this is the kind of refreshment that Paul was experiencing. This is the kind of refreshment that Paul brought to others. And then I love verses 19 and 20. I love that we have Jen and Paul with us today from other churches around Boston, Impact Church, right here in Medford, Pastor Zinzo. I love Pastor Zinzo. Why? Because we are, yes, about Redemption Hill Church. We love Redemption Hill Church. But we want to be more about the church of Jesus Christ, which is every church everywhere. I mean, this is not, we, we, are, we are not competitors in the kingdom of God. We are all on team Jesus and we are teammates. And so Paul highlights this and he says, you know, look, the churches in Asia, they, they love you, fam. Aquila and Prisca, they love you, fam. The church in their house, they love you. And everyone here in Ephesus, they love you as well. In all of this. In all of this, we hear the words of Jesus when he says one more time in John chapter 15, verse 12, a new commandment. This is the commandment that I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. You see, the gospel motivates how we give. The gospel motivates how we plan. And the gospel motivates how we live a life of love. As Paul brings his letter to a close, we find something interesting in verse 21. It's, it says here, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. What this tells us is Paul, I mean, can you believe he was just dictating this letter to his scribe? Wow. And he's just telling, but at the very end, he says, hey, I want you to know this is coming from my hand. So I'm going to pick up the pen and I'm going to write my name and this greeting. And here's what I want you to know. And it all has to do with the, 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 the greatest relationship that God made us for. A relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, look, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. This sounds super harsh, but what Paul wants it to be is a warning for us to understand that Jesus is the only way back to a relationship with God. You see, Jesus is God's greatest gift. He is the greatest uh, gift of love that God has offered to the world. He has offered to each one of us personally. After Jesus says, love as I have loved you, that he talks about what that love looks like in verse 13 when he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And this is what Paul is, is saying. He's saying, God's grace be on you. My love be with you. But, but in all of this, it all comes back to the fact that God has loved us by sending his one and only son into the world. That whoever believes in him should not perish. In other words, not die separated from God, but get to live with God forever in his presence. Have you received God's greatest gift? Have you experienced the generosity of God? This is what God offers each one of us. I gotta, I gotta tell you that uh, I, I grew up hearing the, the, the message of Jesus. God sent his son into the world. This is what we celebrated Christmas. 
His son lived a perfect life, a life that I couldn't live. Jesus, the very son of God, died on the cross for my sin, my turning away of God and and rebelling against him. Jesus died for, for my sin, and then he rose again that I might have life. And I heard this story as a generic story that was for everyone else, but not necessarily for me. And then just a few years later, as, as I was hearing the story one more time, I came to understand that when God sent his son into the world as the greatest gift, My name was on the package. Your name is on the package. God sent Jesus into the world for each one of us personally that we can know what it means to experience a relationship with God both now and forever. And so what I want to do today is this. We're going to just spend some time in prayer today. And if you've never received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to say yes. I don't care if you are young or old or somewhere in between. This news is for everyone. And so I want to invite you, listen, if you've never received, if you've never understood that your name was on the package when God sent his greatest gift into the world, the gift of his son, And I want just to encourage you to acknowledge your need for God. Believe in what Jesus has done for you. And receive the gift of salvation and eternal life that God wants to offer you through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together as we respond to our great God. Father, we are so grateful. We are so grateful that you sent your one and only son into the world. That as we have heard today a gift more generous than any we can imagine, a a gift that is the greatest expression of love the world has ever known. And so God, it's my prayer for my friends today that for for those who have yet to, to grab onto the gift and to make it their own, they would say, oh, I need you, God. I want you in my life. I want my life to belong to you. And that they would say yes to the gift that you offer them in Jesus. If, if that's you today, just cry out to God right where you are and say, God, I want to receive the gift of life that you offer through Jesus Christ. And God, for all of us today, Lord, we've heard about these everyday gifts, the gifts of, of giving and planning and relationships. And Lord, if we're being honest, we know that there are so many things and so many times in our lives where we live so contrary to the ways of Christ. And yet, Lord, you give us the strength to Say yes one more time. And so, God, would you fill us up? Would you cause us to step out over the next week and the coming weeks to to so represent you that people are refreshed? People are strengthened by their time with us. So, God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done in this place today, God. We know that you're not done, Lord. You're still speaking. You're still working. And so, God, would you have your way as we sing and respond? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're going to sing a song. I I made a personal request to Jen. This is one that uh, she wrote. It's an original song. It's called Heaven Rejoices. And it's an invitation 
for us to receive this greatest gift. It talks about how God invites us into his royalty, that we get to pick up our crown, that we are chosen by the love of God to step into this forever life with God through Jesus Christ. And so listen, if you have said yes to Jesus today for the first time, I want to encourage you not just to, you know, let, keep that between you and God, but to share that with someone else so that we can rejoice with you, so that we can pray over you just as heaven rejoices over that decision. So we have a prayer team here that, that is ready to receive you and pray and pray over you. And you may say, well, Pastor Tanner, listen, I made that decision a long time ago. I'm all set. I'm, I'm, I'm walking with Christ. Listen, if there's anything that we can pray for you about today, anything that's going on in your life. Maybe you have just a need in your family that you want someone to pray for. Maybe there's a loved one, a friend that you want to know the joy of following Jesus. You just want to pray for this morning. We're going to pray. And so let's stand and let's sing and let's call on the name of the Lord as we respond in worship.